You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would take those, you can look with me to Luke chapter 10. Grab your sermon notes if you'd like to follow along. This morning, we're beginning a new series that's going to take us through the next three weeks as we talk about this. Here's our topic, the art of neighboring. And we're going to look at a critical command that Jesus gave us as his followers. You know, one of the things I've noticed is oftentimes we can get lost in the details. We can get lost in the details and miss what I believe is kind of like the the basic challenge, the basic charge to the church. Or oftentimes, this is what I've seen, and I've been in church a long time, is that as believers we can get caught up in chasing greater truths and deeper truths and miss, again, the most basic principles that Jesus has called us to. And the basic principle we're going to talk about over the next three weeks is what does it look like? What does it look like to love my neighbor? How, do, how does that practically, practically work out? And one of the exciting things about this series is there's actually right at 100 churches in the greater Charlotte area that's doing this same sermon series. In other words, the body of Christ is uniting in a common message, which means that about 60,000 people in the greater Charlotte area for the next three weeks are going to talk about what does it look like, again, to love our neighbor. And this is what I think is amazing. Who knows what might happen if we can mobilize 60,000 people in our region, in this area, greater Charlotte area, the Lake Norman region. What what would happen if we could mobilize 60,000 people simply to be good neighbors? What do you think Jesus might do? How do you think our neighborhood might be transformed simply as we take the words of Jesus and put them to action. Now, there's a TV show that's become quite popular called House Hunters. Any of you ever seen the show House Hunters? A reality TV show, they film people who are going around looking for a new house. And it was interesting, if you haven't watched the show, you might want to check it out. But it's interesting, as individuals go looking for new houses, they ask questions like, does, it, does a house have granite countertops? Like, does a house have a basement? What's the curb appeal like? Um, Is it in a good school district? They ask all of those questions about the internals and the externals of the house. But one question they never ask is what? Who's my neighbors? That's a pretty critical question. Because the quality of our lives is determined by the quality of our relationships. And our relationships happen in the neighborhood. And they never ask the question, who's my neighbor? The neighborhood's more than just brick and mortar. It's really about relationships. And again, it's relationships that, that bring quality to life. Now, after doing years of ministry, I'm more convinced than ever that, that we need practical ways to reach out into the lives of those who are all around us. Large gatherings and great programs won't necessarily engage people in our communities who don't know God. But here's the deal. Good neighboring will. And let me tell you why good neighboring will. Because all of a sudden, they experience Jesus. You know how they experience Jesus? Not a trick question. You know how they experience Jesus? Through you. See, there's folks in your neighborhood that will never come to this building. They'll never come to Grace Covenant. 
Because there's this little story going around. You know, Grace Covenant Pentecostal Church, they swing from the chandeliers and handle snakes there. Don't go there. They won't ever come here to hear about Jesus. They won't come here to experience Jesus. But you know how they can experience Jesus? Through you. Just through the everyday reality of living in a neighborhood. And when we're living in a neighborhood, we're loving our neighbors. We're doing what... What Jesus called us to do. About five or six years ago here at Grace Covenant, we were doing what I would call event evangelism. Event evangelism. We'd throw a big party, invite a lot of people. We'd go into a, like a challenged neighborhood and throw a party and offer free food, give away a lot of stuff, create excitement. Um, and in that, we would extend the gospel invitation, and hundreds of people were getting saved. It was amazing, exciting. Then we'd go back to the same neighborhood the next year and the next year. And you know what I began to notice as I was observing? The same folks were showing up to get another box of groceries to raise their hand to pray the sinner's prayer again. And after watching this for about three or four years, I began to realize the community is not being transformed. The neighborhood's not being transformed. People's lives are not being transformed. Now, I'm all for going into the neighborhood to hand out groceries to serve people. I think, I think that's good. I'm not against that. But for, for myself and as a leadership team, we were frustrated because we were not seeing people's lives transformed by the power of Jesus. And so we began to have a focused time of prayer saying, God, we know that you called us to reach people who are far from you. We know that you've called us to love. We know that you've called us to serve our community. But this event evangelism, is like, it's like it's not working. And as we were seeking God as a leadership team, God, what do you want us to do? The Holy Spirit led us to a verse of Scripture as a team. He led us to a verse of Scripture, John 1.14. The message paraphrase reads like this. And Jesus became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. And this is what we sense the Holy Spirit was saying to us. You've got to move into the neighborhood. Don't sit in the building and invite people to come here. You go there and build relationship. Serve people. Establish yourself in the neighborhood. So as a church family, we raised dollars. Many of you were part of us. We raised dollars. We bought a lot in a neighborhood, a challenged neighborhood not far from the church. And we built a house called the Neighborhood Care Center. And we're simply there to be a good neighbor. That's really that's the whole goal. We're building relationships. We're discovering needs and trying to meet those needs. And we're trying to serve. And we're just like trying to be Jesus. And the neighbor, and this is the exciting thing, is people's lives are being transformed one person at a time, one relationship at a time. What did we do? We just moved into the neighborhood, and we established a place where we said, "Hey, we're going to serve people, and we're going to allow them to see what it what it looks like to experience Jesus." Yeah, I what I'm convinced of is that the command. To love our neighbors is at the core of God's plan. Like it's at the very basic. 
And the bottom line of what God's called is what he's called us to, to, to love our neighbors. And as we have experienced the love of God, we're called now to live out that love. And again, it begins with that, just simply being good neighbors. You know, in John 13, 34 and 35, this is what Jesus said. A new command I give you is I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So according to what Jesus said in John 13, we are identified as his followers by what? By how we love. And it's in that, it's in that love that we're living out that people get to experience who Jesus is. Some years ago, there there was about 20 lead pastors in the city of Denver, Colorado, that we're gathering on a monthly basis for prayer and fellowship, just to encourage one another. And month after month, they were gathering. And, and one day, in the midst of their gathering, they had this conversation, like, what might it look like if we got all of our churches to join together to somehow impact our city? Great question. And so they were having this dialogue back and forth. And finally, one said, hey, why don't we invite the mayor? Why don't we invite the political leader in our community, in our city, to come to one of our meetings and let's ask him, what's the greatest need in the city of Denver? So they did. They asked Mayor Bob Free to come to their meeting and presented this question, like, how can we as churches serve our city? And obviously, in response to the question, the mayor said, you know, here's, here's, there's a lot of needs. We have alcohol abuse, we have, substance, we have drug abuse, we have... Um, uh, aging individuals, shut-ins who need to be cared for. We have kids who need to be mentored. I mean, he went through this whole list that you would expect in a larger city. Then the mayor made a statement that was quite profound. And I, and I put the quote from the mayor there in your notes. This is what the mayor said to 20 pastors. He says, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of good neighbors. So get this. Here's the political leader of the city, the mayor of the city, saying to a group of 20 pastors, 20 spiritual leaders, most of the problems in our community could be served if you as pastors would just get your people to love others. Be good neighbors. That's what he was saying. And out of that, then there was a movement that started mobilizing the followers of Jesus simply to be good neighbors. You know, we as the church often reach out to help a neighborhood in crisis across town or, or people in need in other nations, but we, we neglect our own neighbors right next door. We, we miss the ones closest to us. We, we see the needs of the world, but often we don't see the needs of the neighbor next door. See, the journey begins... When we choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of business and accumulation. It's about making room for life and choosing to befriend those that God's put around us. And this is what Jesus clearly calls us to do. I want us to look at this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 10 in which Jesus is asked a question. And he actually answers the question with a question. And then he tells a story, an amazing story. So if you would, if you have your scripture, Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. This religious leader wanted to pat himself on the back a bit. So we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. and When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. And he took him to an inn and took care of him. <clears throat> the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Notice what Jesus told him. Go and do likewise. If you have your own Bible, would you underline that phrase? Go and do likewise. Or we might say it like this. Go and do the very same thing. Go and live this. Go and live this out. Now this story that Jesus told would have been shocking for any Jewish people who would have been listening. I mean, they would have been astounded. Why? Because Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero in the story. I've talked about this before. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. There was this huge racial divide, this racial tension playing out. Yet Jesus takes the Samaritan and makes him the one who is uh, the picture of what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Interesting, if, if you look to this story, understanding that when Jesus comes to the end of the story, he asks the, the religious leader, the teacher of the law, which of the ones do you think was a good neighbor? Notice, he, he can't even say the Samaritan. He says, oh, it was the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even speak the word. Yet Jesus gives us an example of what it looks like to be a good neighbor. And, he's, and he challenges us with this, this word. Because I don't think this is just a challenge to the religious leader. I think it's a challenge for anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, go and do the same thing. So what does it look like? What does it look like to be a good neighbor? How, how do we practically live this out? So from this parable that Jesus told, real quick, I, I want to give you what I see from this story is five characteristics, five characteristics of what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Here's the first one. We are aware of the opportunities to serve and help others or neighbors. So what we need to have eyes to see the opportunities around us. In this story that Jesus told, first there was the priest, the spiritual leader, a pastor, if you will. He comes down this road. There's a man who's been beat, robbed, half dead, 
and the spiritual leader sees him, sees the need, sees the situation, but chooses to pass by on the other side of the road. In other words, he did nothing. Then there's a Levite, a good law-abiding citizen, who comes by and sees the same thing. This man, if someone doesn't do something, he's going to die, and he passes by on the other side. The Samaritan comes and sees the same man in the same situation. And he moves to action while he was aware of. He had eyes to see the need. How many of you know, oftentimes we can look but not really see. You know what I'm talking about? We can look but not really see the need. Oh, because we're, 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 we don't have an awareness. So I think the first characteristic of a good neighbor in your neighborhood, what? You just have an awareness of opportunities. And we're looking for opportunities to serve and to help. You know, earlier this year, Charlotte and I sold the farm and we moved into a little neighborhood. We're renting a house right now while we're looking for the right house. Um, my wife and I are not on the same page yet, so maybe if you have any help with that, maybe you can help us get on the same page. But we sold the farm, moved into this little, this little neighborhood, uh, and I've not met any of our neighbors yet. So I get up one morning to come to work, and it come this little snow. Um, and I, I have a four-wheel drive truck. And as I was coming out of the driveway, I noticed one of my neighbors had got stuck and couldn't get out of the driveway. Now, you know, any man with a four-wheel drive truck is looking for an opportunity, right, to use that truck. And I just happened to have a chain in my truck. And so I stopped and I asked this lady, I said, ma'am, can I... Can I help you? you mind it? I'll be glad to pull you out. And I was so excited to get to use the four-wheel drive. And so I hooked the chain onto her car and pulled her out. And that's how I met our first neighbor, a single grandma. Her name's Maria. Since then, Maria and I have had uh, a couple conversations. But it all began with an awareness of an opportunity. And then a willingness to, to step into that opportunity. Here's a second characteristic. Again, just taking the story Jesus told be a good neighbor means we're, we're motivated by compassion. And looking back to the story Jesus told, the scripture says that when the Samaritan saw the beaten man, he took pity on him. The message paraphrase reads like this. His heart went out to him. Saw that his heart went out. The Samaritan was motivated to action because of compassion. And compassion is defined as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress partnered with a desire to alleviate it. So it's not just having sympathy for, it's having sympathy for and then doing something about it. So for the Samaritan, he saw the need and it grabbed his heart and moved his feet. That's what compassion is. Something grabs your heart and what does it do? It moves your feet. He was motivated by compassion. So a good neighbor is, is not only one who's aware of the needs of those around them in the neighborhood, but then they're moved in their heart to take action, to do something to help. This leads us right to the third characteristic of a, of a good neighbor. It's this. A good neighbor takes initiative to engage in conversation and service. In Luke 10, 34, the scripture says that the Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. In other words, the Samaritan didn't pass the buck. The Samaritan didn't say, well, there's probably someone else more qualified or better qualified to take care of this situation. No, he took the initiative. 
He stepped in. You know, this is what I believe about good neighbors. Good neighbors have a bias to action. And that they're willing to engage in conversation and service. They're willing to take the first step. They're willing to make the first move. A couple years ago, when my wife and I were still on the farm, we had a new neighbor move in next door. When I say next door, it's like a half a mile away. We had a little space in between us. And, and so I knew when new neighbor had moved in, I thought, I, I need to go meet the new neighbor. Um, and happened to be during harvest time with the garden, so I went out and I picked some tomatoes and squash and cucumbers, put it all in a little basket, and I got on my four-wheeler, and I drove up to the house and knocked on the door, and they came to the door, and they cracked the door open about this wide. <laughs> Obviously, they were not from around here, right? Like, who in the world is at my door? So through this little crack, I said, Hey, I'm your new neighbor. My name's Farrell, and I have some... I have some vegetables for you. How much do you want for the vegetables? I said, no, really. I'm your neighbor, and I just want to give them to you. I just want to bless you, and I just wanted to introduce myself. And so they got the door open wide enough to get the basket, and uh, that was their first conversation. And it got better from there. That's the good news. It got better from there uh, as they got to know me. And as they came to discover, I'm not like totally weird, just a little weird. Uh, We kind of got over that hurdle. Uh, Not to pat myself on the back. But I, I, I made the first move. I took the initiative. I, I stepped up. And I think that's what a good neighbor does. Hey, we don't wait for someone else. No, we take initiative. We have, a, we have this bias to action that moves us. Here's the fourth characteristic. A good neighbor is willing to be inconvenienced to help others. If you look back to verse 34, I think this is interesting. The scripture says, and again, Jesus telling the story. How many of you believe that every word that Jesus spoke is significant? Every word. As Jesus is telling the story, he says, And the Samaritan took the man and he put him on his own donkey. Have you ever read that? Put him on his own donkey. So if the man who was beat is on his donkey, guess who's walking? That's a question. Guess who's... Y'all can talk with me a little bit. It's okay. So who was walking? The Samaritan. Why? Because he gave up his ride. He was willing to be inconvenient. This is one of the things I've come to discover. Being a good neighbor is not always convenient as to your plan, your time, or your schedule. Maybe it's not even always convenient to your pocketbook. We, but I think a good neighbor is willing to be inconvenient. A good neighbor is willing to go out of their way. I mean, that's what we see as Jesus is telling this story of what a good neighbor looks like. Willing to be inconvenient. In other words, we're not just living for ourselves. We're really living our lives for others. And we see interruptions as opportunities. It's an interruption as an opportunity that I can, that I can then live out. The love of Christ. Here's a final characteristic of a good neighbor. We're willing to go above and beyond to bring help. Not only did the Samaritan man help the individual in need. Not only did he bandage his wounds. Not only did he put him on his own donkey and take him to the inn. Care for him there. But if you notice, the scripture says that he got into his own pocketbook. And he pulled out two silver coins. And he says, here... Here's the money to cover the bill. 
And if it happens to be more, when I come back, I'll reimburse you the cost. How many of you know that's above and beyond? I mean, here's a man that he'd never met before. I mean, he's just, he's coming along. There's a stranger that's been beat, left to die. So Samaritan steps in, being a good neighbor, goes above and beyond. Jesus said, that's how we're to live. That's what a good neighbor does. A good neighbor gives Grace that's above and beyond. If you've lived in a number of neighborhoods, possibly you've had an experience where you had a neighbor that was an EGR. How many of you know what EGR is? An EGR neighbor. Extra grace required. Yeah. You've probably had one of those neighbors. I had one that had a barking dog that would not stop. We had conversations, and I just come to the place that what extra grace required. Now, I think a good neighbor goes above and beyond, and this is why. It's what Jesus Christ did for you and I, when He went above and beyond and gave His life on a cross, and now He's called you and I to what and live our lives in the same way. Being a good neighbor. And again, to the end of the story, the last thing, Jesus asked the religious leader, who in this story was the neighbor? And, and, and the, the religious leader says, well, the one who showed mercy. And catch what Jesus said, go and do likewise. Again, I believe that's a challenge for each of us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he said, hey, go do the same thing. Go Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you're not living where you're living by accident. Some of you, some of you, you thought you bought your house in that great location because the market value was going to go up, or you thought you bought your house in that great location because of the school district, or you bought that house thinking, man, it's going to be easier in my commute, or maybe you moved into that apartment complex thinking, wow, it's going to be a whole lot easier to get to work. You you thought that you were moving there because you had an idea that it was the best maybe for you or your family, but can I tell you something? You're there on purpose for a purpose. On purpose for a purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is, is to represent Jesus. The purpose is to love your neighbor. Uh, let me prove that out for you. Acts chapter 17. The verse is on the screen. I, I want to read this for you. And I want you to know specifically what's highlighted here. Acts 17.26 says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So God determined the exact time that you would be on this earth. He determined the exact place. You thought it was your decision. And it was really God working before you ever got there. In that apartment complex. In that house. He's placed you there on purpose for a purpose. That's to do what? It's to live out the love of Jesus. It's to be a good neighbor. To represent Jesus Christ. So that people around you can experience Jesus. Again, they may never darken the door of a church. 
Here's the good news. They don't have to come to a building to discover Jesus. They can discover Jesus through you. Being a good neighbor. So I'm going to leave you this morning really quick with three points of action. Three, three simple things that I'm going to ask you to do this week. Not difficult. They're possible for every one of us. The first thing, the first action I'm going to challenge you to is this. Introduce yourself to one new neighbor you don't know. Walk across the cul-de-sac and make the first move. Walk across the parking lot in the apartment complex. Hey, hey, my name's Farrell. What's your name? Initiate the conversation. Listen, it all starts with a conversation, right? So I would encourage you this week, introduce yourself to one one new neighbor. Here's the second thing I would challenge you to is fill out the, the block map. The block map. So in your worship guide, there's a little sheet that looks like this. And right in the center is a yellow house. That's your house. So you can go, you can go ahead and put my home. Okay, that's your house. So here's the question for you. Who are the folks who live around you? That your neighborhood may not be laid out just like this. But who who are your neighbors? So in each of these blocks, what are their names? And then maybe a couple details. The names of their children or maybe where they work. What have you discovered about their lives? And where there's blanks, that means if neighbors you don't know yet. So there's the point of opportunity, right? And then what you have after you get all this bit out, you have a prayer guide. Well, you can be praying for your neighbors. Well, because you know who they are. You can begin to engage in relationship Wait, because you've discovered who your neighbor is. I would encourage you this week, take this and spend a little time. And Who are your neighbors? Where we live now, we have four neighbors. And I've met all of our neighbors. Know them by name. Took the initiative. That's who I would put on my map. I don't have um, eight, but I have four. So who, who would be your neighbors? Again, fill out the block map. Take the initiative. Make the first move. Here's the third thing, the third point of action that I would challenge you to this week is look for one opportunity to serve a neighbor. One opportunity. Not 17, not 22, just one. Maybe it's baking some cookies and walking across the street. Again, listen, don't make it difficult. If you make it difficult, you won't do it. Right? But keep it simple. Maybe, maybe it's a, a neighbor down the street who's doing yard work and you, say, you grab a rake and you go down and have him do a little yard work. Or maybe it's a family that needs someone to watch a child for 30 minutes and so you step up and say, I would love to do that. So this week, find one just one opportunity 
to, in some way, serve your neighbor. Because this is what I know. If Jesus lived in your neighborhood, you know what he would be doing? Come on. He'd be serving. I mean, John 13, here's Jesus with the disciples. Just before he's going to the cross, he takes the towel in the basin, he washes their feet, and he says, you know what I've done for you? I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Serve. If Jesus lived in your neighborhood, he'd be serving. So, find one opportunity this week to serve. Simply to be, to be Jesus. So I encourage you to have a bias to action. Make the first move. Don't wait for your neighbor to make the first move. You make the first move. And who knows what might happen if we take Jesus' command to simply love our neighbors and we put it to work. Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I think that's a challenge for us. Go and do likewise. So how many of you, how many of you have neighbors? And probably all of us. You can't live in the Lake Norman area and not have neighbors, like lots of neighbors, right? Can I tell you, that's where, that's where Jesus has called you to live out your faith, to express his love. So I want to pray for you this morning because all of us have neighbors and all of us have the opportunity that the Holy Spirit would help us see the opportunities. Be aware of those. And the Holy Spirit would empower us to have a bias to action. And move beyond the barriers. Next week we're going to talk about the barriers. To move beyond the barriers. Simply to do this. To love our neighbors. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.